Before we get going with episode 82, word from our friends at Monmouth Park. With full fields and big payouts, Monmouth Park has returned as a place to profit. Monmouth's Friday Night Twilight cards are the perfect place to build that weekend bankroll. Live action from Monmouth Park starts at 5 o'clock Eastern every Friday. Weekend action at Monmouth Park begins at 12.15 Eastern every Saturday and Sunday, kicking off the 50-cent win early pick five. Start your weekend days with a bang by playing the 15% takeout win early pick five every Saturday and Sunday. It's one of the nation's first pick fives every weekend. It's big fields, competitive racing, and big paydays all at beautiful Monmouth Park Racetrack. Now, episode 82. What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter. At Bernier underscore Matt, today is Monday, September the 13th, 2021. This is episode 82 of the program. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. You can find it a bunch of different ways. If you want to listen on your phone or uh, basically however you take your podcast in, you've got Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. Those are just a handful of options. If you're someone who maybe you're sitting at your desk, you've got YouTube up, you've got music playing, you got this, that, or the other, or you want to watch along, just search bar, Matt Bernier Show, and get this episode along with the 81 prior. And as is the case with any of these avenues that you take this content in, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're over on YouTube, make sure the bell icon is lit up. That way you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel. Don't forget Horseplayer Happy Hours coming up on Thursday afternoon. TBD if I'm going to be involved this week because it's another travel day. I just got back in yesterday from Nashville after the NBC show down at Kentucky Downs on Saturday. We will discuss that momentarily. Uh, And getting ready to leave on Thursday to go north of the border to Canada for a couple of uh, days of action we have on NBCSN on Saturday and Sunday. Two days of racing. NBCSN up at Woodbine. Looking forward to getting up there. So this is going to be a pretty brief show. Not going to be going too far into the the nuts and bolts of the racing itself. This is more of a philosophical, psychological, I don't even know what the right way of phrasing it would be, but a way of thinking. It's going to involve both the races that we had on the NBC show on Saturday and my four picks from the NFL this past weekend in week one, and I'll give you some more picks at the end of the show as well. But the the thought process behind everything and maybe the way that it's certainly the way I'm starting to approach things, I think it also helps from an ebb and flow standpoint as far as your overall psyche is concerned. And I don't know that there are enough people that think or view things this way. You always hear me and PTF and others talk about probability and the likelihood of things happening. And trying to disassociate yourself from the the ego aspect of things of saying, I was right, I had the winner, or I was wrong, I screwed that up badly. The When you start thinking of things, well, let me get back to, I've always tried to think of things like this, but on the flight home yesterday from Nashville, I was reading a, a book uh, from Annie Duke, who's a, a poker player, but just overall a brilliant woman, incredible brain, very, very smart. And she was kind of laying out that idea of the the more you can kind of disassociate yourself with the result 
the better off you're going to be. And yes, results are important, but how much of it was because you did everything right that the result turned out in your favor, or did you just get lucky? And some folks don't are reluctant to acknowledge luck playing a part in things. And then there's the you know the reality of the situation that you could do everything wrong and still win, or look at things and approach things completely incorrectly, but have it all play out in your favor due to luck, or vice versa. You can go through and call everything down to a T and make all the correct moves and still end up losing. And if you think about it just from a probability standpoint, the likelihood of certain things happening, I think it can kind of, it can recalibrate your brain, I think in many aspects, but specifically here with what we're talking about from a gambling standpoint and a betting standpoint. So just for example, let's use the the races on Saturday and Sunday, or excuse me, on Saturday as an example from Kentucky Downs. First race we went over was the uh, Kentucky, uh, excuse me, the FanDuel Turf Sprint. Six furlongs down the hill. You had a, a full field in here. There were 12 runners that went. When I went through and priced out the race, and I'm going to go right down in order, I had Diamond Oops at 10 to 1, a 9% chance of winning. I had Fast Boat at 10 to 1, a 9% chance of winning. Bombard, a 9% chance of winning, 10 to 1 odds. The four, Gear Jockey, 8 to 1 odds, 11% chance of winning. Born Great, 49 to 1, 2% chance of winning. The six front run, the Fed, 32 to 1, 3% chance of winning. Casa Creed, 5 to 1, 17% chance of winning. CM Reap, 49 to 1, 2% chance of winning. Got Stormy, 5 to 1, 17% chance of winning. Chewing Gum, 19 to 1, 5% chance of winning. Stubbins, 19 to 1, 5% chance of winning. And Imprimis, 8 to 1, 11% chance of winning. Why do I lay all that out there? Well, the horse that I picked was Gear Jockey, the four, and he ended up winning the race. Now, I think many people that are result, just purely focused on the result, and again, I'm I'm weaning myself off of looking at things that way, and while I've always looked at things, or, you know, as far as, as long as I've been involved in the industry, from a probability-based standpoint, and actually looking at odds and numbers and comparing and contrasting, there's still, it takes a, it takes some time and some effort to take your, try to take yourself away from the result and either living or dying by it. So Gear Jockey wins, certainly a good result for me. But does that mean that I was correct? Air quotes. Was I right? Was I wrong? The answer is actually neither. If you're thinking about it from the the aspect of at a certain point these horses are going to win a race the way that i assign the odds 11% of the time 11 out of 100 times they ran the race gear jockey would win he went off at odds of 5 to 1 which equates closer to a 17% chance according to the public he also earned a 105 buyer speed figure winning this race, by the way, which makes him one of the faster turf sprinters. We'll find out how that translates to Delmar going 5.8. But the, the point is, the horse that I selected won. Does that mean that I was correct? Or did it just so happen that, by my estimation, one of the 11, you know, it, this race fell in the 11% bucket? 
where he won, or based on the public, it fell in the 17% bucket. And if you run the race again, perhaps from my estimation, it falls into that 89% of the time that he doesn't win. Or from the public standpoint, falls into the 83% of the time that he doesn't win. And now also bringing the gambling aspect into it. I picked Gear Jockey. I thought he should have been 8-1, to one, or I thought that would have been fair, realistic odds. He went off at 5-1. to one. From a gambling standpoint, that's an underlay because the public is suggesting he's going to win more frequently than I think he's going to. Now, he ended up winning, but if you're taking your gambling seriously, and admittedly during these shows, because there are 15 things going on and we're running around like, like, like mad people trying to make sure we're in the right spots... I usually put my bets in before the show starts because there's just too much going on for me to sit there and really you know, lock into what I'm doing. But if I'm being honest, it wasn't a good bet because he didn't offer fair odds based on my estimation of the likelihood of him winning. Now, hopefully all of that, you know, hopefully I'm... Not just making sense, but I, I hope everyone's understanding the the thought process behind it. Because now we'll pivot to the Kentucky Turf Cup. And in the Turf Cup, I'll go through the field again and, and show what I had for odds and kind of compare and contrast. I had Imperador at 12 to 1, 8% chance. Crossfire Hurricane, 32 to 1, 3% chance. Channel Cat, 9 to 2, 18% chance. Tide to the Sea, 10 to 1, 9% chance. Arklow, 4 to 1, 20% chance. The 8, A Journey to Freedom, 16 to 1, 6% chance. Glynn County, 6 to 1, 14% chance. Epic Bromance, 13 to 1, 7% chance. Breakpoint, 19 to 1, 5% chance. Big Dreaming, 32 to 1, 3%. Artemis Eagle, 49 to 1, 2%. And Dyna Drive, 19 to 1, 5%. So, the horse that I selected in the race was Glynn County, the number 9 horse. And I made him 6 to 1. I thought... By my estimation, he wins this race 14 out of 100 times. And the public agreed because he went off at odds of 6-1. to one. So, no, you're not getting an overlay, but that's, that is an accurate assessment at least. Or I shouldn't say an accurate assessment. It is fair in the eyes of this handicapper. I thought that those were appropriate odds. Now, the winner was Imperador. I had assigned... Odds of 12 to 1, 8% chance. So 8 out of 100 times, I think he wins the race. He ended up winning the race at odds of 8 to 1, which ends up equating to about 11%. So by my estimation, if I think he wins 8% of the time and the public thinks he wins 11% of the time, he's not a good bet. But is it right? was I right or wrong for selecting Glynn County? I think most people who are result-oriented and just looking at the outcome are going to say, well, you were wrong because you didn't win. But it was not an all-or-nothing scenario. And I even mentioned it on the show. I said, I don't love the price. I was hopeful he was going to be sort of in that, you know, 10-ish range. I thought that was realistic from the 15. Maybe the scratches hurt his, his cause, but... That it's not a it's not a black or white situation. You didn't win or lose. Maybe as far as the wager in your bet is concerned, there is an immediate outcome. But the process and the thought that goes into it, 
I think in the long run is the way that it need it not only does it need to be done, but I think psychologically it goes a long way into looking at it and saying, you know what? So if you go on a bad run and just nothing's coming in for you, if you sit back and look at it and say, and think of it this way, because I don't, I know many people do, but I know there are the vast majority don't. The horse you picked, if they win, it doesn't necessarily mean that you were right. The outcome came out in your favor, but if you sit there and you go, well, how frequently is this going to happen? You just happen to fall into that percentage of the time that you believe the outcome is going to happen. And then there are going to be other instances where if they run the race again, you're going to fall into that other group that unfortunately it doesn't work out in your favor for whatever the circumstances may be. Which is part of my reasoning going back to, uh, let's think of some other horse races that have gone on and some of the reasons that I've sat there and, you know, kind of harped on certain horses. A horse like Mendelssohn, maybe for many folks, he was no good. And that's fine. I'm not going to try to convince you otherwise. But to use a race like the Derby when he got cleaned out at the start as an example of why he was no good, that that's not... I don't believe the accurate way to assess things. You assign a probability, a likelihood of a certain horse winning a race. And when it doesn't happen, that's part of that other percentage of the time. So for me, with a horse like Imperador on Saturday, I thought 8% of the time he would win the race. Well, guess what? This falls into one of those 8% chances. And again, your value line, your, your sort of assessment of odds is really only as good as it is accurate. So that's something that you as a handicapper need to kind of track on your own. But do I look at it and say I was wrong because I didn't pick him? No. No, I, I thought he had a chance. But realistically, every horse has a chance. There's, there's no instance where a certain horse does not have a chance. There are unforeseen things that can happen that can lead to a horse winning a race. It may be exceptionally unlikely, but there's always a scenario in which things can happen. So tying that into, and by the way, I may have already mentioned it, but a 100 buyer for Imperador winning the Kentucky Turf Cup, Arklo. Let's use Arklo as an example. Arklo, I think many people would say tough luck on Saturday. Probably the best. Didn't quite work out for him. He earns a 100. He can still run, clearly. I made him 4-1. to one. He went off at 2-1. to one. There's a pretty large discrepancy from a percentage standpoint there, but if I had chosen Arklo, I wouldn't look at that and say I was right or wrong. I would say we fell into the 80% of the time that he wasn't going to win the race, as opposed to the 20% that I believed he would have. Or in this case, the, the public, the 2.3 to 1, let's call it uh, 30 to 33% of the time. Well, that, that still leaves a very large percentage of the time that he's not going to win. Does that make you right or wrong? If you're someone who's just looking at it black and white, sure, you're going to probably draw that kind of conclusion. But I believe that is not the correct way to approach it. Tying it into this weekend's football games. Week one of the NFL slate come and gone, had some interesting results, had some great games, some not so great games, some blowouts, this, that, and the other. Go back to Thursday night with the season opener. 
I gave out four games last week, and I went 0-4. And if you're just looking at it result-wise, yes, bottom line, four losses, not great. And it doesn't make the bankroll feel any better. But if you're thinking about it from the, the process and the probability standpoint, I think you can look at it and... To me, there are two games of these four that are very clearly good examples of thinking of it this way. So the Philadelphia and Atlanta game, my numbers came out and it said Atlanta 26, Philadelphia 17. That had Atlanta winning this game outright, and I'm not. this is not factoring in the spread, but Atlanta winning the game 77.3% of the time. The spread ended up being minus three and a half. The, the Falcons lost by 26. It, it was an incorrect, it, the result did not work out, but based on my numbers, that just means Philadelphia, it was one of that 22.7% of the time that they were going to win the game, putting aside the point spread. Indianapolis and Seattle. My numbers had Indianapolis winning the game outright 53% of the time, Seattle 47% of the time. That Indianapolis winning 25 to 24 Seattle pretty much controlled that game from start to finish for the most part. I believe it was 28-13 to 13 final, somewhere thereabouts. Um, you know, okay, didn't end up on the right side of things. But again, from a percentage standpoint, I had it as a, effectively a coin flip. And I ended up going with Indianapolis because they were catching points as a home dog. It's usually a positive expectation sort of thing in the long run from a betting football standpoint. The two games, though, that I think illustrate this sort of, you know, thought or, or logic are the Dallas and Tampa game and the Jets and the Panthers. Start on Thursday night. My numbers initially had it as, I believe, 35 to 18 Tampa winning but that was using last year's data and then factoring in that Prescott was going to be back for Dallas. I said tack on six points. So 35-24. Just an outright standpoint, that would have Tampa winning 83.3% of the time, Dallas winning 16.7% of the time. The spread was uh, minus eight. While the sort of numbers, Tampa ended up winning, falls into that 83.3% of the time, there is a group of folks that would say Dallas probably should have won. But I also look at it and say Tampa not only won and fell into that 83.3% group, but if Chris Godwin doesn't fumble on the goal line or on the, the one or two yard line inside of three minutes to play, Tampa goes in, scores, it not only wins, but then they cover the minus eight. Instead, they only end up winning by two with the field goal. Was I right or wrong? Well, just strictly from the outcome, saying I think that Tampa will win by at least eight points or more than eight points, uh, that was wrong. It was incorrect. If you're just looking at the outcome. But... Factoring in all the things that can happen, and again, kind of going to the idea of Arclo in the Turf Cup. If the traffic, if the, the, the seam opens up a little sooner, that to me is analogous to if Godwin doesn't fumble on the goal line, 
Barklow could potentially win this race. And okay, all of a sudden, instead of, by my estimation, the 80% of the time that he loses, he falls into the 20% of the time that he wins. And if Godwin scores, well, the 83.3% that Tampa wins doesn't really change much. It just kind of seals it away. And Dallas doesn't even have the opportunity to go down and do what they did to force Tampa to then have to go make the field goal to win. But they end up covering the eight points. So that's one that I look at and go, you know what? That was just bad luck. The Carolina Jets game. Carolina is up 19 to 8, I believe, deep into the fourth quarter. Now, I had Carolina winning 23 to 13 based on my numbers. That equates to 80.3% of the time the Panthers defeat the Jets. The spread was five and a half. That was fine. I, based on my numbers, Carolina covering five and a half. And until very late in the game, they were. And Zach Wilson takes the Jets down the field. They score a touchdown. They don't end up converting the two-point conversion. They, they, they lose the game. The Panthers win, but they don't cover. They end up winning 19 to 14. So my numbers for my model, they're not that far off. I had the game 23-13 and ends up being 19-14. Falls into that 80.3% of the time that Carolina wins the game outright. But from a covering standpoint, that late touchdown moves the number enough that the 5.5 that I had, and I know the number ended up moving late down to like 3 or 3.5. Good on you if you got that. I don't end up covering because it ends up landing at 5. Just purely black and white, it's a loss. But you look at the things that have to happen to get to that point, I think looking at it just purely from a results-based sort of view is probably going to lead you, A, to more sort of ups and downs emotionally, which is a major part of anything as far as predictions or gambling or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, but also, I think it can kind of skew the way that you approach things. If you go into it recognizing that there are going to be times that things happen in your favor and there are going to be times that things work against you, I think you're going to be better off in the long run. And maybe that was a long-winded way of explaining that, but I do think, and that's why more and more time goes by, I'm really trying to look at it and say, if, even, if a, even if a horse that I have bet on wins, I wasn't right. It just so happened that this was one of the times that the horse would win in a 100% sort of circumstance. That's why I always harp on the value line, the value line. If you go through and assess and keep track of how accurate your value line is, you're going to go into these races or into games that you're betting on or whatever it may be and you're going to be in a much better position to look at things objectively and we all become fans of teams or horses or jockeys or trainers or whatever it may be but it's very important to separate your fandom and you can still root you can still hope that certain horses run well and do this that and the other but Try not to let that cloud your judgment when it comes to making accurate predictions. 
in forecasts because a tainted view of things can lead you, I think, in the wrong direction. Now, I'm not saying, you know, if it's a someone who you're directly tied to, then, yeah, you're no matter what, you're going to have some sort of a clouded judgment. But I think if you're trying to, if your goal is accuracy, I think maybe it's something to consider. I'm starting to do it all in. I was already doing it trying to compare and contrast odds. But now I'm thinking of it from a, a mental and an emotional standpoint of even when the horse that I pick, like Gear Jockey, wins the race, that doesn't mean that I was right. It just means that he happened to win on one of the times that I kind of assigned percentage to. He was one of the 11% of the time. That happened to be the race on Saturday. And conversely, Glynn County, the price was, I thought, fair and accurate. I thought he should have been that number. And he just happened to lose, which still, again, was I wrong? Or was it just one of the 80, what, 86% of the time that he wouldn't win the Kentucky Turf Cup? Versus the 14% that I and the public believed he would. Hopefully that is not too wordy. I, 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 I'm hopeful that I explained it in a clear enough way. Um, let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter what your thoughts are about this idea of not getting so caught up in the results. Yes, results are important. I recognize that. I mean, that's... When the bottom line, when you start looking at the ledger, you're going to look at the results. Was it a winning wager or a losing wager? I think there's more that goes into it, though. It's not that simple. I think there are more elements at play than just are you in the black or are you in the red? Over the long run, anyway. Let me know what your thoughts are beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Third and final time for this segment. Because the first time the audio sucked and the second time I got about halfway through and all of a sudden I was out of memory on the card. So third and final try. We're going to be up at Woodbine this weekend. The two-year-old races that are winning your ins, the fields still look like they're in flux a little bit. But the Woodbine mile, I think it's got a great lineup of horses who could potentially run. Uh, nothing has been confirmed, but the likes of Set Piece and Raging Bull and Avi's Flatter and Jolie Olympica... March to the Arch, Ride a Comet, Olympic Runner. Those are just a few. A space Traveler. Some of those names could show up in the Woodbine Mile. I think it's going to be a really good race. Looking forward to getting up to Toronto area, Mississauga. And seeing, really, you know, we talked about it a little bit last weekend with Kentucky Downs. Now with this, a one-turn mile for the Breeders' Cup Mile, a prep for that anyway, when you're in for it. You know, how does a one-turn mile translate to the two-turn mile at Del Mar? You know, it'll be interesting to go through, and I'll do a little bit of a deeper dive into Del Mar and the track itself as we get closer and closer to the Breeders' Cup. But uh, definitely looking forward to that. Again, Saturday and Sunday, NBCSN this weekend. Now, three picks for the NFL this weekend. Um, I'm going to roll through them. These are what my numbers are spitting out. Do with them what you will. I'm also going to bring in sort of that probability piece of it, recognizing that the spreads are not what the percentages are alluding to. The percentages are alluding to the outright winner. But given the margins that I'm seeing, that my numbers are crunching, 
Um, these were three that at least seemed reasonable. So, New Orleans at Carolina. I have New Orleans winning 28 to 19. Uh, that equates to 77.3% of the time. The spread is New Orleans minus three. I'm not getting hung up on the fact that they crushed Green Bay. Green Bay may have some major problems. Carolina, I thought it was a solid effort in the grand scheme of things, but also keeping in mind they defeated a rookie quarterback on the road in his first career game on Saturday, and they didn't do it uh, decisively. Let's put it that way. So I think the nine-point differential that my number is coming out with is reasonable, and that would easily cover the minus three. New Orleans 28, Carolina 19. So I'm going with, and that equates to a 77.3% win rate for the Saints. LA Rams at Indianapolis Colts. I have the Rams winning 29 to 14. The line is the Rams minus four and a half. Kind of a smelly line, but uh, my model likes the, the Rams quite a bit in here. 95.5% outright. I think that's a little aggressive, but the numbers are. And the, the difficult thing is, too, you're trying to kind of commingle last year's data with an extremely small sample here in this first year or first week of the season. I'm thinking you're probably going to need at least three or four weeks to start really kind of diving more into the current as opposed to just ignoring what happened in the past. But you have to make adjustments on the fly, including for changes to the quarterbacks. And I think the Matt Stafford piece with the Rams shouldn't go overlooked because it, to me, they feel like the NFC's version of the Chiefs. I'm not all in on them. I'm not all in to the point where some people are, where they're predicting them to win the Super Bowl. But I think the best thing about the Rams is they've got that immediate ability to just hang a giant number on you. And I think you saw that a little bit in the Bears game on Sunday night that, you know, in the, in the blink of an eye, they've eaten up 60 yards in one play. And I, I think that's, that's always a potent piece. Indianapolis, I don't know what you want to do with them just yet. Um, they're probably not as bad as the Seattle game, but then again, I think the Rams are better than the Seahawks are. Um, Rams 29, Colts 14. Rams minus four and a half is the play for me. And then the last one will be Bengals at Bears. Um, I didn't think Chicago was terrible on Sunday night. I really didn't. And I know the, the Bengals, it was a good, good return for Joey B. And you saw that uh, Jamar Chase... You know, given all the concerns that he had in the preseason training camp with the way that he looked, thought he came out very well, 105 yards, somewhere thereabouts, with a touchdown. Um, it's one thing to do it against a Vikings team that I think is flawed at home in overtime and need every bit of it. It's another thing to go, say what you will about Chicago, going into Chicago with a team that this is going to be a considerable step back from the Rams team that they played last night. I just think the Bears have got a pretty good chance in here. My numbers are 23 to 16 Chicago. That's a 71.2% win rate for the Bears in this instance. The line is Chicago minus three. That's where I'm going to go here. So the three NFL plays for week two, I have New Orleans minus three with a final score of 28 to 19. I have the Rams minus four and a half with a final score of 29 to 14. And I have the Bears minus three with a final score of 23 to 16. Let me know your plays beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt for the NFL week number two slate. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. However you find this thing, you know the drill by now. Uh, again, I'll be north of the border at Woodbine this weekend, NBCSN Saturday and Sunday, Horseplayer Happy Hour on Thursday. Don't forget about that because we are in the final weeks of the regular season. If you have not secured your spot for the postseason, get involved play along. It's only 20 bucks. It goes to a good cause and you got a chance to win some pretty, pretty 
large prizes, some substantial pieces, $10,000 Breeders' Cup betting challenge seats. So get involved, horseplayers.com for all the details over there. Um, I will be back on Tuesday next week because I'm flying back from Canada on Monday. So until then, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, wherever you play. It's been episode 82 of the Matt Bernier Show.